Well, if you will, please take out your Bibles with me and turn to the book of Ephesians, the New Testament book of Ephesians, chapter 5. And I'll be there in just a moment, beginning in verse 11. Ephesians, chapter 5, starting in verse 11 here in just a moment. This morning, we're going to tackle a, a tough subject, but one that I believe we cannot shy away from. We're going to be talking about abortion this morning. Now, a couple of qualifications up front. Number one, I do not assume to know what it is like for women to go through a pregnancy. Uh, I do not assume to know what it was like for my wife to do that two times. Um, do not assume to know what it's like emotionally, physically, anything. Uh, so I just want to say that up front. Uh, I am admittedly a man speaking to this issue, uh, but I don't, ma- I don't think it matters who you are, man, woman, doesn't matter if you're speaking the truth. Number two, abortion is not the unforgivable sin. Abortion is not the unforgivable sin. There might be people in this room this morning or people listening to this message later who need to hear that. So if you ever had an abortion, if you have ever encouraged an abortion or paid for an abortion or driven someone to an abortion, it is not the unforgivable sin. This is going to be a hard message, but it is not a message without hope. Jesus Christ's blood is powerful enough to cleanse us from any sin. And that is the foundation that we are built on as a church. That is why we are all here, every single one of us, even those of us who have nothing to do with those categories that I just mentioned, every single one of us needs the blood of Jesus just as much as the other. Number three, this is much bigger than politics. This is not a political message this morning. I'm not trying to talk you into who to vote for. This is much bigger than that. This should have never become a political issue. This is much bigger than politics. And finally, I need you to know this morning, we're not going to be showing any pictures. I think it can be helpful to look at pictures on your own because it reveals what is actually going on. It reveals the the ugly truth that we need to see sometimes. But this is not the time or the place for that. And so I wanted you to know that just going in this morning. I'm not going to be showing any pictures. Now, in January 1973, for two weeks in America, for two weeks, there was such a string of extraordinary events that today we look back on those two weeks and, and we wonder what was going on. America experienced an extraordinary last two weeks of January in 1973. Let me take you through the timeline here. January 14th, 1973. 1.5 billion people worldwide witnessed Elvis Presley's televised concert from Hawaii. Okay? That same day, January 14th, the Miami Dolphins complete the only perfect season in NFL history by winning the Super Bowl. The very next day, January 15th, offensive action is suspended in Vietnam. Five days later, January 20th, President Nixon is inaugurated for his second term in office. Two days later, January 22nd, George Foreman defeats Joe Frazier to become the world boxing heavyweight champion. Five days from that, January 27th, the Paris Peace Accords Agreement is assigned to end the war in Vietnam. And January 30th, 
of that same month, that same year, former presidential aides James McCord and G. Gordon Liddy are convicted of conspiracy, burglary, burglary and wiretapping for their roles in the Watergate break-in. That's just two weeks. By any account, it was an extraordinary couple weeks for America, but one event that happened in that time period flew almost completely under the radar. On January 22nd, 1973, the landmark decision in the Roe versus Wade case was handed down by the Supreme Court, legalizing the practice of abortion from conception up until birth for any reason the woman could give that would show the child would be an excessive burden or stress on her well-being. Any reason. Conception up until birth. And since that day, since that day, in America alone, we have lost 61 million lives to abortion. 61 million Breathe that in for a second. 61 million lives. 61 million people, most of whom would be alive today. 61 million images of God that have been snuffed out. Today, churches across America will observe Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, the Sunday closest to the anniversary of that landmark decision. 47 years ago. And today I hope to shine a light on the darkness that is abortion. So look at Ephesians chapter 5 with me. Ephesians chapter 5. This is by no means the only scripture we will see this morning, but it is the theme of the message. Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 11. Paul says, Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. The title of today's message is Exposing the Dark Work of Abortion. I will freely admit I just straight up stole the title of the message from another preacher who's been a, a great example to me in consistently speaking out for the unborn. But... I felt like there was no greater way to describe what we're doing here in light of Ephesians 5, 11 through 13, exposing this work that it goes on in darkness, exposing the darkness of abortion. God calls us as Christians to expose the works that go on in darkness. Here in our text, God is telling us to expose those works, to shine a light on them and make them visible. Satan wants to keep abortion in the dark. Satan wants to keep this in the dark. He wants to keep this out of sight and out of mind. And to that we say, no, we will not turn away. We will not close our eyes. We will look straight at this and see it for what it is. And so today I call you in your own life to refuse to turn a blind eye to abortion. To refuse to turn a blind eye to the smallest and weakest and most oppressed category of human beings in the world. The unborn. When I was in school, we learned about the horrors of Nazi Germany and the Holocaust. And we learned 
about slavery in America based on someone's skin color. And we learned that during those periods of time, when these things were going on, there were people arguing that those things were right and good. And they honestly believed that. And we look back on them now and we say, how could they have been so blind? Well, it is my prayer that in 30 or 50 years, people will look back on this time in history, in America especially. People will look back on the last five decades in America and they will think, how could they have been so blind? That is my prayer. One of the ways that you expose a work done in darkness is you talk about what has been happening, what has actually been happening. And so one of the ways that we're going to expose this dark work of abortion this morning is going over statistics, right? We need to face up to the statistics of what has been happening in America and in the world. We said it already before, since Roe v. Wade in 1973, 61 million lives have been lost due to abortion. 61 million. In 2019, last year, the leading cause of death worldwide, not just talking about America here, but worldwide, the leading cause of death worldwide was abortion, and it wasn't even close. There were 42.4 million deaths by abortion last year, and that's worldwide, all across the world. This is twice as many deaths as those caused by cancer, smoking, alcohol, traffic accidents, malaria, and HIV-AIDS combined. You take all of those causes of death, combine them, and it does not equal even half the amount of deaths caused by abortion worldwide last year. In America today, January 19th, this day, approximately 2,300 babies will die from abortion. Today. In 2017, 2017, 862,320 babies were aborted in the U.S. 862,320 babies aborted in the U.S., in 2017, and that is actually the lowest yearly number since 1973. It's actually the lowest since 1973. The state of Florida actually records a reason for every single abortion that occurs in their state. In 2018, there were 70,083 abortions in the state of Florida. Of those, 95% were due to either elective choice or social or economic reasons. In other words, 95% of all of those 70,000 were due to the fact that the mother thought this baby was just going to be an inconvenience. Of the remaining 5%, only 0.15% involved cases of rape or incest. That argument that so many use for the legalization of abortion, only 0.15%, 0.15% involved cases of rape or incest. Just over 4% claimed the health of the mother was at stake. Just earlier this month at the Golden Globe Awards, which none of you might have watched, but an actress named Michelle Williams gave an acceptance speech for an award that she won in acting. Now, Michelle Williams is a very talented actress, extremely talented. And watch some of her movies. She, she's a wondrously talented actress. God's given her many gifts in that area. 
But she gives her acceptance speech, and she says, at the Golden Globes, she was so thankful to live at a period of time where a woman's right to choose exists because she wouldn't have been able to make her life the way she wanted to make it without abortion. And she even thanked God. She thanked God and said she was glad she had the freedom to live out her own faith. And as she said these things, the room loudly applauded and the camera even cut to other actresses who were shedding tears of joy. It was one of the sickest and most disturbing and most evil pictures you will ever see. In Isaiah chapter 5, Isaiah says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. And we are living in a time like that in America right now, where we call evil good and we celebrate it, and we call good evil. And we persecute people for doing the very things that God wants them to do. When she says that, she's talking about that 95% that we just mentioned in Florida and across America. These babies are seen to be an inconvenience. And so we end their lives so that we are not inconvenienced, so that our careers can continue going the way that they, they, they need to go, so that we can do all the things that we want to do for ourselves. Brothers and sisters, this is the exact opposite of biblical love. We were talking about this in our Sunday school class this morning. Biblical love is defined by sacrificing yourself for the good of others, sacrificing your own comfort and your own life for the good of others. Jesus says, greater love has no one than this, that he would lay down his life for his friends. And yet, we are celebrating in America the exact opposite of that, sacrificing another life for our own comfort and convenience. And so we say all of this to expose the dark work of abortion, to look at it in the face and see what it is for what it is. And statistics are part of that. Now, the other thing I want you to see this morning, though, is Scripture is clear on this issue. Scripture is clear. God does not leave this up to a matter of opinion. If you are a Christian, this is not up for a matter of opinion. Scripture is clear on this issue. Let me show you. All of these references are going to be up on the screen behind me. Um, this message, by the way, is going to be on our website and on our podcast afterward. If you want to reference any of these verses, you want to go back and write them down, you don't have to scramble to get them all down right now. You can even hit me up later for all of these, but I want you to see these. Starting in Luke chapter 1. In Luke 1, verse 40, it says, And when Elizabeth, this is John the Baptist's mother, when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then three verses later, Elizabeth herself speaking to Mary, she says, Behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Okay? Number one, that's a baby in there. Number two, John the Baptist leaps for joy when he hears the news through the womb. He hears the news of Jesus being announced by Jesus' mom coming in. He leaps for joy in the womb. Right? In the womb. This is a person. This is a life inside of the mother's womb. Or take Exodus chapter 21. Exodus 21, this is when God is giving the law to the people at Sinai. God says to Moses, When men strive together and hit a pregnant woman so that her children come out, but there is no harm, 
The one who hit her shall surely be fined, as the woman's husband shall impose on him, and he shall pay as the judges determine. But watch this. But if there is harm, then you shall pay life for life. In other words, that unborn baby is a life. And it is the taking of a life to kill an unborn child. It's taking life. Perhaps even more clear is Jeremiah chapter 20. Jeremiah chapter 20, starting in verse 15. Jeremiah is lamenting his state. Jeremiah, we often call the weeping prophet. God called him to prophesy to people who would never listen to him. And he would suffer for it. And he would go through many hard times. And he says of himself... Cursed be the man who brought the news to my father. A son is born to you, making him very glad, very glad. Let that man be like the cities that the Lord overthrew without pity. Let him hear a cry in the morning and an alarm at noon, because he did not kill me in the womb. So my mother would have been my grave and her womb forever great. He did not kill me in the womb. Do you see the language he's using? Killing him in the womb. We cannot escape the fact that abortion is the taking of a human life. Abortion is murder. We are looking at it for what it is. We are calling it what it is. Now, on top of the fact that the Bible is clear that that is life, that life begins at conception and not birth, on top of that, we read things like Psalm 139 that tell us God is the one who forms us in the womb. Psalm 139, 13. For you formed my inward parts... You knitted me together in my mother's womb. And so abortion is an assault on the work of God. God is doing the work inside of a mother's womb to form that baby and get it ready to be born. You see the same thing in scriptures like Job 31.15, Isaiah 42.2 and 24, or Jeremiah 1.5. The same thing, the same concept. God is the one doing the work. Do you think that God sits idly by when people assault His work? When people thwart His plans? Do you think God simply sweeps that under the rug and says, no big deal? Absolutely not. Or take Psalm 82, which much like our scripture reading that we started off with this morning, at the beginning of the service, shows us God cares deeply about the weak, and the oppressed, and those who cannot stand up for themselves. So Psalm 82, verse 3, Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. We could have lined up just, just a smorgasbord of scriptures to show us how much God cares for the weak and the needy and those who cannot stand up for themselves. And then finally, I'd encourage you to look this one up later. Leviticus 20, verses 1 through 5. Leviticus 20, 1 through 5 is just one of the places in the Old Testament that shows us that God lays down the harshest of penalties for those who participated in the demonic practice of child sacrifice. In the Old Testament, there were times when people would sacrifice their own children to idols thinking that giving their children, killing their children as a sacrifice to these gods would make these gods happy with them. These false gods who didn't even exist. 
such a demonic practice that God said, you put people to death who do this. Anyone who sacrifices his own child is going to be put to death. Anyone who encourages this is going to be put to death. You can read this in places like Leviticus 20. God has the harshest of judgments reserved for people who participated in this. And I'm here to tell you today, we are still participating in the demonic practice of child sacrifice. Only now, the children are not born, and the God is no longer Molech or whomever. The God is the God of self. The God is the God of self. And so, Scripture is clear on this issue. This is not up for debate. This is not up for a matter of opinion. At Columbia Christian, we are a church that welcomes anyone of any political affiliation. And I'm here to tell you, you can be a Christian and be a Democrat. Did you know that? You can be a Christian and be a Democrat, okay? But I'm also here to tell you that if you are a Christian, you must face up to the truth of Scripture whether you're a Democrat or Republican or Independent or whatever, you must face up to the truth of Scripture and acknowledge the life of the unborn and the fact that abortion is murder. And this is bigger than politics. We cannot stay silent about this and we cannot support it in any way. Now, next, exposing the work that goes on in the darkness. One of the ways that we expose this dark work is that we, we show people, we reveal the hypocrisy in everyone trying to convince themselves that abortion's okay. There's all kinds of blatant and obvious hypocrisy in people trying to convince themselves that this is fine. It's not fine, and we know it's not fine. And even the people who are pro-choice know it's not fine. Everyone knows what's going on. Everyone knows what's going on. We know what we are doing. Let me show you what I mean. Since the Roe v. Wade decision in 1973, many people have, a, have tried to argue that abortion is not murder. They've tried to justify it in some way, that it's not the taking of a human life. But if you pay attention, it's clear. Everyone knows. The advancement of imaging technologies like the ultrasound and new MRI technologies show that babies are so obviously human that no one can seriously deny that life exists there. And yet, killing these babies is perfectly legal. 37 states currently have what we call fetal homicide laws. Fetal homicide laws, meaning if you injure a pregnant woman and she loses her baby, you are guilty of homicide. 37 states. But if the mother chooses to have that baby killed, perfectly fine. You see the, the hypocrisy there. 41 states allow civil suits for wrongful death of an unborn child. 41 states. A mother who harms her unborn child with drugs or alcohol can be prosecuted in most states. A mother who harms her child with drugs or alcohol. Despite a recent Pennsylvania Supreme Court decision claiming that the baby inside the womb is not an actual person, which is absurd, a mother, though, who orders a doctor to end the life of that same child cannot be prosecuted. Notice the blatant hypocrisy in allowing a woman to be prosecuted if she harms the baby inside of her with drugs or alcohol, and yet if she chooses to have that baby killed, you cannot do a thing. We operate on babies inside the womb. 
to save their lives and preserve the pregnancy if that's what the mother wants. And these technologies that we have developed to operate on babies inside the womb, we, we all celebrate them. Even pro-choice people celebrate these technologies that we have to operate on babies inside the womb and save their lives. Yet right down the hall, a baby at the same period of gestation can be legally killed. This makes no sense. Even those who are pro-choice use the word baby when they announce their pregnancies, do they not? They use the word baby when they announce their pregnancies, because that's what it is. It's a baby. And those who are pro-choice readily acknowledge that premature babies born as early as 24 weeks regularly survive on their own, yet at the same time they argue for the right to kill babies beyond this point of development. You see what I'm saying? We all know what we're doing. Everybody knows. We know. Now that does not address the people who acknowledge that abortion is the taking of a human life, but rather assert that that is worth it. There are some people who will readily acknowledge, yes, abortion is taking of a human life, but the, the, greater, the greater injustice is denying a woman's freedom, right? Denying a woman's freedom to, to, to do what she wants with her life and her reproductivity and, and, and her, her values. People, there are, there are people out there who are acknowledging this. You see, the, the law of our land is about competing rights. It's really about competing rights. That's what this, this debate is. It's about competing rights. The right of a woman not to be pregnant versus the right of a baby not to be killed. Right? Let's just simplify it for a second. Let's say it like it is. This is what abortion is about. The right of a woman not to be pregnant versus the right of a baby not to be killed. And in such cases, justice demands that we honor the greater right, the one that does the least harm. The unborn baby is a person. And therefore, they have the same rights as my eight-year-old boy or my six-year-old girl. The same rights. The only differences between an unborn baby and a toddler do not change the fact that they have a right to life. Yes, they have a difference in size, but just because my little boy is smaller than me, does that mean we can kill him? Absolutely not. Yes, they have a difference in level of dependency, right? But just because a newborn baby is dependent upon its parents for life does not mean we can kill that newborn baby, right? Yes, they, they have a difference in environment. They live inside of a mother's womb, and a, a, a newborn baby lives outside. But just because of a difference in environment does not mean that difference grants us the right to kill one of those people. Environment has no bearing on whether or not we can kill people, we can take their lives. Yes, there is a difference in level of development, right? That little baby there in the womb is not as developed as our three-year-olds running around this church, but just because there's a difference in level of development between them two, it doesn't grant us the right to kill them. There's a difference between level of development in the newborn baby and myself, and yet we cannot kill that newborn baby. You see what we're talking about here? Now, all of those things, those four differences, you can, you can memorize them, you can remember them by the acronym SLED, S-L-E-D. 
okay? Size, level of development, environment, and degree of dependence, SLED. And the, the place I first heard this was a book that I would encourage anyone to read called The Case for Life by a guy named Scott Klusendorf. The, the best pro-life book I've ever read, the best book on the rights of the unborn that I've ever read. But that, that test right there makes it perfectly clear. These are the differences between a toddler and an unborn baby, and none of those differences grant us the right to take the life of one of them. None of them. And so this baby who is unborn is a person, and therefore abortion is murder. We all know what's going on, every single one of us. Now, finally this morning, what can you do? And you might be sitting here saying, John, I'm pro-life. I've always been pro-life. I've you know, never had an abortion. I've never encouraged an abortion. You know, I agree with all this, but, but what can you actually do? What is there for us to do on this? Well, number one, I would say this. Be clear and uncompromising when you talk about this issue. Right? Don't be wishy-washy. Be clear. Don't be harsh or unloving, but be clear. And to do that, maybe you need to educate yourself. Perhaps you need to read a book like The Case for Life. Um, there's great websites out here uh, to educate you on this stuff. I would recommend one, which is liveaction.org. Liveaction.org, just spelled straight out. It's a great website to go to to educate yourself on statistics and how to, how to speak on abortion in a way that's you know, accurate and informed. Uh, but be clear and uncompromising when you talk about the issue. The issue is always, what is the unborn? Right? The issue is always, what is the unborn? Always bring it back to that. If the unborn is a human, we cannot kill it. If it's a human, we can't kill it. It deserves the right to live, right? That's always what's at stake here. Bring it back to that issue. Simplify it. What, what else can you do? Well, support pregnant mothers. Support pregnant mothers. Support pregnant mothers in our church, even those who get pregnant out of wedlock. Let's support pregnant mothers. All right? Surround them with love and support and money and gifts and commitments to babysitting. Yes, there is sin involved if an unmarried girl gets pregnant. Okay, we acknowledge that. If an unmarried girl gets pregnant, yes, there's sin involved. But if we're not careful as a church, our actions and our words might actually encourage an abortion without us knowing it. Right? And so... Yes, sin happens, and yes, there are consequences of sin, but afterward, let's support pregnant mothers in our church with all of the, the support that we would give to a married woman who is having a baby, and we're going to help her take care of the baby, right? Let's support them. We, we don't just need to be pro-life before birth. We need to be pro-life after birth, right? We need to be pro-life all throughout the course of life, from conception to death, we are pro-life because this is the image of God we're talking about because God values life. And so we need to be pro-life, not just with our words, but with our actions, not just before birth, but after birth as well. And in that line, let's support adoption and foster care. Let's support adoption and foster care. Right? Donate to couples who are pursuing adoption. A typical abortion costs somewhere between $400 to $500. The average international adoption costs around $30,000. You hear that? The average international adoption costs around $30,000. So you, 
find a couple that you know that is in the process of adoption, donate some money to them. Ask them how you can help. Ask them if, if they need you to do anything when they take their trip overseas, if that's what they have to do. You've got ways to get plane tickets. That's a huge cost with an international adoption. But foster care, too. Right? Think about whether or not God is calling you to adopt. Is God calling you to adopt? There are all kinds of people in Kentucky and across the world, all kinds of children who, thank the Lord, did not experience abortion, but now are left without a mom or a dad who can take care of them. Is God calling you to adopt? I'm here to tell you right now, if you know of any woman who is thinking about an abortion, you tell her there's somebody here at Columbia Christian Church that will take that baby and raise it. My wife and I will take it. And I, I know there's plenty of other people in here who would say the same thing. Right? Don't let someone kill a life that is precious to God just because they, they feel like they can't raise it. We've got all kinds of people in this church that would be willing to help raise that baby. Support adoption. Support foster care. Support crisis pregnancy centers. Here in Columbia, we've got a, a place called the Agape House that helps out with education for pregnant moms as well as supplies like diapers and things like that. All right, it's right over there on Jamestown Street behind Advanced Auto Parts. But there are also all kinds of other good ones across the country. If you go on the CareNet website, C-A-R-E-Net.org, CareNet, they have a place where you can find pregnancy resource centers close to you. There's a number of good ones around here in Danville and Glasgow and uh, Somerset and Monticello and all kinds of places like that that I looked up this past week. Right, so support crisis pregnancy centers. They're, they're really great ministries. Um, and maybe it's, it's not just with your money. Maybe it's with your time. Maybe you're looking for a way to get involved in the community. Well, run down there to Agape House and say, hey, what are you guys doing? Tell me about your ministry. What do you need? Right? How can we be involved in helping, be pro, helping this community be pro-life, not just before birth, but after birth? But also this, what can you do? Realize that justice for the weak and the oppressed is an outworking of the gospel. Justice for the weak and the oppressed is an outworking of the gospel. Over and over again in the Old Testament, the prophets warned the people that God was going to punish them for failing to work justice for the smallest, the weakest, or the oppressed. God called them out for the hypocrisy of bringing a sacrifice to the temple on one day and then turning around the next and ignoring the needy. If the gospel that we preach here every single week is not powerful enough to move us to defend the cause of the weak and the oppressed, it's not the real gospel that we're believing. In the civil rights movement, if you study your history, there were plenty of evangelical churches who refused to speak out against slavery because of what they called the spirituality of the church. Church is only here to talk about spiritual things, and that's not a spiritual thing, so we're not going to speak on it. That's a misunderstanding of the gospel. Jesus did not just die to take away your sins. Jesus died to change your heart Jesus died to transform this world. Jesus died so that God's kingdom could break into the world in our everyday lives. And when you read your Bibles, it's not just to have a nice time with the Lord. It's so that the Bible can influence your actions. 
And so working justice for the oppressed and the needy, it's an outworking of the gospel. This is a gospel issue. Jesus died and rose again for this, not just to get us to heaven, but to transform our hearts and to transform the way we treat one another. And finally, remember, to those who have had abortions or encouraged them, Jesus bought your forgiveness with his blood. Jesus bought your forgiveness with his blood on the cross. We are all just as sinful as you are. You need the gospel just as much as the person sitting next to you. Every single one of us needs the blood of Jesus just as much as the next one. Every single one of us can have peace with God, no matter how sinful we have been, no matter what background we have come from, no matter what things we have done that we are so ashamed of. Anyone can have peace with God if they come to Him through Jesus Christ. Jesus offers peace with God this morning. Peace for those who have shed innocent blood. Peace for those who have loved themselves more than they have loved others. Peace for those who have oppressed the weak. Peace for those who have sinned in a hundred ways. Because the blood of Jesus is powerful enough to cleanse you from any and all sin. That's the word that I want to leave you with this morning. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we ask that you would help us in our hearts and in our minds to see this for what it is. We pray that you would help us to know what we could do, what tangible things can we do to help protect the lives of the unborn and support the lives of those who have been born. God, I pray that you would Help us to look this in the face and to not turn away. And I pray, we pray, that you would end legalized abortion in America. That you would protect the lives of the unborn. Protect them from wickedness and wicked men and the selfishness of those of us who, who can stand up for ourselves. In Jesus' name we ask, amen.